0: Uh, Mike's in the back picking teeth from his skull and playing with his tongue. He's all sick and everything. I
1: want my mommy. I want, I
0: want my mommy. <laughs> he kept on punching him and, and shooting him. And I had to grab him like this to pull him back. And I told him to stop. you like, mean
1: people are going to f- hate us for this? F- hate my-
2: Fifteen-year-old Seth Jackson was a typical teen boy, living in Summerfield, Florida, with his parents Scott and Sonia Jackson, and his two older brothers. He loved animals and had aspirations to join the Ultimate Fighting Championships. His parents had agreed to enroll him in training courses when he turned 18. Little did he know that when he began a relationship with 15-year-old Amber Wright, it would lead down a dark and twisted path that would ultimately end those aspirations, along with his life, in an unimaginably horrifying fashion. As is often the case, their relationship was happy, in the beginning at least. However, after a year, things turned sour between them. During these difficult times, Amber added fuel to the fire when she began a close relationship with 18-year-old Mike Bargo. Seth's best friend, Will Samalot, claimed that Seth was traumatized when the end of their relationship finally came, amid speculation that Amber was actually cheating on him with Mike. On Sunday, April 17, 2011, Seth and Will went to visit a mutual friend. That night, when they left to walk home, Will noticed that Seth was texting on his phone and seemed distracted. Shortly after 9 p.m., the two parted ways. That was the last time Will would ever see his friend. Seth's mother, Sonia Jackson, filed a missing persons report the next day when he didn't return home. When a news report concerning Seth's disappearance appeared on TV, Amber Wright's half-brother, Kyle Hooper, had an emotional breakdown, telling his mother that he had knowledge of what happened to the missing teen. The story that Kyle told his mother was appalling, and she contacted the authorities, indicating that a ramshackle house in Summerfield, Florida, held the key to Seth's mysterious disappearance. When investigators visited this location and rounded up the suspects in Seth's disappearance, they soon learned that the full truth was far more grisly than they ever could have conceived. According to Kyle's testimony, Justin Roach Soto, Amber Wright, homeowner Charlie Ely, Mike Bargo, and he himself were present on the scene the night Seth went missing. Investigators collected these individuals and brought them down to the station for interviews, with the exception of Mike Bargo, who they were unable to locate at the time. When dealing with multiple suspects, such as in this case, One common tactic that detectives will use is to separate them, allowing each one of them to tell their version of events independently. Once an inconsistency is found, detectives will present this inconsistency to all of the suspects in the hopes that all of them will tell the truth. This technique would prove critical as detectives began to unravel the complicated skein of threads in a complex tapestry of murder, unveiling one of the most twisted and chilling motives we've ever seen in a case. What follows is never-before-seen interrogation footage exclusively obtained by EWU. You can sit right
3: there. That's
2: okay.
4: fine. Thank you. That's kind of why we have the chairs set up. Like this. All right. So what's
2: the issue? This is 20-year-old Justin Soto. To his friends, he's known by the nickname Roach. He's the eldest of the suspects, and investigators believe that he may have intimate knowledge of what happened to Seth, as he is a current resident in the house. What's
3: the issue? You know what? I have a feeling you're going to tell me. Okay, listen, I want you to understand something, Mm -hmm. okay? I don't know what you do or don't know. You're not in trouble with me, okay? But this is extremely important.
2: The detective tries to reassure Justin that he's not in trouble, but this might not be the entire truth. Police will often say things like this to gain rapport with suspects so that they'll be more forthcoming with the officers.
3: Um, Are you from around here?
4: Like, I've, like lived, I've lived here for a while, but I'm from Hawaii. You're from Hawaii? Yeah. Where, where here have you lived? I mean, how long have you been living here? Um, since I was about 12 years
3: old. 11,
4: 12 years old. A few
3: years. Oh, so you've been here a while.
2: Yeah, I've been here okay. a while. Investigations usually begin with discussions of general information like this, so the detective can get to know the suspect and begin to make them feel comfortable with the interrogators.
3: Let's talk about your tattoos a little bit. Do you mind? Yeah, I don't
2: mind. What's it say on the front? This, this says head bust on it. What, what is that?
3: H-S-A-O?
2: H-E-A-D. People generally like to talk about their tattoos and the meanings behind them, so it's an easy question to get the conversation flowing. If Justin feels at ease with the detective, he may be more willing to give her information regarding what happened to Seth. Justin shows the detective his tattoos, and she jokes around with him, building an atmosphere of trust and camaraderie before getting around to the impending serious discussion. Suddenly, the detective notices something interesting.
4: Yeah, this is my last one. I have a mushroom right
3: here. Oh, that's a new one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
4: What are all the scratches about? I mean, I was walking through the woods, and some vines got a hold of it, and, like, three or four vines wrapped right around my leg, and I went to go walk, and it, it shh. Any others? No, that's it. That's it? Okay. okay.
3: You don't have anything on your back and your arms? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's different. Usually that's where they put them all. <laughs> <laughs> Are you got a cold or something?
4: Yeah, I've been sick for like almost two weeks now. Well, I'm not really sick anymore. I just got this crazy behind cough and it aggravates
2: me. While Justin's explanation may be true, a sudden increase in coughing can also indicate an increased stress level. As the body goes into fight or flight mode, mucous membranes dry up, which can make the mouth and throat feel dry. For someone who already had a lingering cough, this dryness could cause further irritation and make the coughing increase. Um, I
3: understand that you guys were, um, you know, in a crowd. I, you know, I'm older, so I'm gonna say kids. Yeah. Um, hanging out together, okay? I hear, I hear that, you know, tempers, <coughs> tempers flu. Okay. And things (coughs) happened. What what are you doing Sunday night?
4: (coughs) What's today, Tuesday?
3: Today is Tuesday. (coughs) Hey.
2: Justin succumbs to a coughing fit here just as the interview begins in earnest.
3: Do you know why you're here? You don't know. Did anybody explain? Tell Tell me how you ended up here.
4: I woke up this morning to Charlie waking me up and there was an officer right there. And I'm here now.
2: Each of those being interrogated lived with Charlie Ely in her home at the time of Seth's disappearance, except for Amber Wright, who visited regularly and frequently stayed overnight.
3: Okay, so you just got in a car and you didn't ask any questions? Like, what do you want? Why am I here? Nothing? You didn't ask anything? Oh, come on. You're
4: too smart for that. I'm not worried about it. I didn't do nothing wrong. Oh, I mean, exactly. I was just coming over here to see what the hell is going on. Because I, w- I woke yeah, but, up. And- but
3: you even said it yourself, okay? You're nervous about places like this, okay? So there's no way you're going to sit there and tell me that you got into a police car, okay? And ask no questions as to why you're getting into a police car after being woken up, okay?
2: The detective appeals to logic based on information she's already collected from Justin to point out that he may already be acting dishonest with her.
4: So let's, let's, let's. They said an incident happened. Okay. With who? Um, I guess, Freaking something about some kid that I don't even know who the hell he is. Yeah, you
3: do, who is he?
4: His name's Seth or something like that and Supposedly, I guess he got shot
0: or whatever. Okay.
4: That's all I know. Like, like the girls. I guess they went to go meet up with him or something. And what girls? Charlie
2: and the um, other one. This is 18-year-old Charlie Ely. She's the owner of the house where Justin, Kyle Hooper, and Mike Bargo also live.
1: I don't like this room.
5: I'm about
2: to go crazy. Charlie has been obsessively checking and examining her body since entering the interview room. This may be indicative of anxiety. After nearly 20 minutes, a detective finally arrives to speak to Charlie.
6: Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Got crazy. Got me go crazy. To go crazy? Yeah, I can't. Okay. Well, we don't need that. I'm the Detective Bill with the Sheriff's Office. Charlie. Charlie. What's your last name, Charlie? Ely. 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 E L Y. Okay. How you
1: doing? <coughs> How old are you? Eighteen. Eighteen years old.
6: Okay. Do you do you know why you're here? Yes, sir. Why are you here?
1: Because um, something happened with
6: that. Something happened with Seth. Okay. All right. understand that we had a deputy bring you down here because of what may have happened with Seth, okay? There's an investigation that we're going to investigate. Are you clear with that?
2: Charlie sighs heavily, which may be an example of her using an adapter to expel nervous energy. Adapters are nonverbal ways that people comfort themselves when they're feeling stressed.
6: I'm going to sit back and uh, pretty much just give you the floor. You're, you've already explained to me about, but, why you think, why are you here, okay? I why I'm why here. Explain to me why you're here.
2: Often detectives will allow the suspect to simply tell the story in their own words. This allows them to observe and catch any lies and inconsistencies, pointing these details out to encourage the subject to tell the complete truth.
6: And be honest with me. Totally truthful. Hold your head up.
1: Okay, Sunday night... Yeah, Sunday night. Amber and I walked up because her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend, was sad, and he—they wanted to work things out, so we met him up.
6: um, This is Sunday night.
1: Yes, sir. In Fifty Eighth Court, it was approximately nine thirty.
6: So you met him on the corner. Yeah. Okay.
1: They talked. What corner did you guys meet him on? I think it's Fifty Eighth Court. I wanna say that's
6: what it is. that who all met there?
1: Me, Amber, and
2: Seth. Amber is, of course, 15-year-old Amber Wright, Seth's ex-girlfriend, the half-sister of Kyle Hooper, and suspected love interest of Mike Bargo. In another room not far away, she will soon begin a similar story.
7: Okay. I introduce myself before my name's Rhonda, okay? And I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you about this, okay? Okay, I just need you to tell me the story. And let's start with, the other night, I understand that you and Charlie went to another neighborhood or went down the street. Tell me how this all comes about.
2: Unlike the other detectives, Detective Stroop goes straight into the story, beginning with Amber's role in the events.
7: Well,
1: me and him were already talking on the phone. Me and him.
2: Seth.
7: Okay,
1: you
2: and Seth. Did
7: Seth call you or did you call Seth?
1: Well, he had called me a couple days before that and I didn't answer. Okay. So I called him that night.
7: And you and Seth, correct me if I'm wrong, okay, you two had had a relationship. Okay. Was he, uh, how, how was your relationship with him?
1: Not the
7: best. Tell me why you say not the best.
1: We'd always fight. He'd always hit
7: me and cheat on me and all that. So he was physically abusive to you? Yes, okay.
2: When Amber describes her relationship with Seth, she touches her hair, another adapter behavior, she may be feeling uncomfortable when she talks about this sensitive subject.
7: Who all knew that? Me, Charlie, my brother. Okay, so Kyle knew about it. Was it, were there a lot of people in the neighborhood just that ran around with you guys that knew this? Yeah. Because your mom, I understand, knew it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Seth had called you a few days before.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: You called him back and what day was that?
1: Um, I think it was Sunday night. Sunday night? It was the night that this all happened. Okay,
7: so you called Seth and what did Seth say?
1: Well, it started off, I was like, hey, I know you called me the other day and I didn't answer, but you wanted to make up. So, do you want to make up or like try and be friends or something? Because I'm sorry for everything. And he was like, yeah, I think that'd be a good idea for the both of us because we're both tired of fighting with each other, but we just wanted to stop the drama.
7: Okay. So, were you guys going to get back together as a couple?
1: No, we were just going to try and be friends. Okay. Because we were friends before we were dated. Okay. We were really close. Okay. And he was like, well, you should walk down here. And I was like, well, if I walk down there, I'm not walking alone because it's too dark, so can my friend Charlie come?
7: Uh
1: And he was like, sure, I guess. Where was
7: Seth at when he said walk down here?
1: Um, The neighborhood at the end of my road, Bellevue Ridge Estates.
7: Okay, so Seth was at Bellevue Ridge. Whose house was he at down there? He said something about Brittany.
2: It seems likely Brittany was the friend that Seth and Will were visiting the night of his disappearance. Will mentioned that Seth had been distracted, texting on his phone once they left. Police later recovered these messages. They read, Hey, can you talk? You said you needed to talk. Well, I kinda need to talk to you about us working things out. What do you mean? Can you please call me, like now? Yeah, sure. Hey, my friend Charlie is coming with. I've been telling her everything between me and you, and she's coming because I need her to help through this. Is that okay? But don't tell anyone what's going on, because I want to make sure we can work things out before anyone knows. Amber, if you have me jumped, I will never give you the time of day. So if I get jumped, say goodbye, all right? I swear you're not, Seth. I could never do that to you. I just want me and you back. Okay. I'm walking up the hill now. I'm at the neighborhood road. Where are you? Sorry, I didn't want Will to hear me, but stay around the corner where me and you fought. Just wait right there, and I'll be there in a minute. This was Seth's very last text message. It's interesting that he was suspicious of Amber's motives here, as he fears that she's planning to have him jumped. Perhaps he had a good reason to be wary. So you
7: guys went
2: down there and talked?
1: We were talking for maybe like not even 30 minutes. Okay. And his mom, I guess, texted him, and I was like, who are you texting? I thought we were talking. And he was like, my mom told me either right now or never. And I was like, oh, okay. But I guess they started arguing or whatever, and then he looked at
7: me, he's like... Are arguing with his mom through yes. texts? I
1: guess he called her a bitch or whatever. I didn't want to get in it. And then he was like, look, I'm not in the mood to talk right now. I'm getting out of here for now. I'll see you around. And he he just stormed off. So when he stormed off, we went back to my house. And about an hour later, he came to my house. Mike was off in his room like he always is. Okay. He never comes out.
7: So he had no idea you went to see Seth or that you came back from seeing Seth that you're aware of?
1: I didn't tell him.
7: Okay. And Kyle's in the living room. What's Kyle doing?
1: Kyle just sits there and watches TV like he loves Okay, TV. so he's just
7: watching TV in the living room. Mike's in the bedroom. Okay, and then what happens? Seth comes Seth to the Seth
1: knocked on the door and Charlie answered it, and she was like, well, what do you want? And he was like, I just need to talk to Amber. Can I come in?
3: I, I don't know what it is you're being careful about, okay? And I it's okay to be careful, okay? But the truth is what it is, okay? And that's what I need from you.
4: That's pretty much what it is. I don't, I don't know the kid. I know
2: he's a little white boy. And Using the phrase pretty much is what is known as an exclusion qualifier. Other examples of exclusion qualifiers could be saying something like not really or for the most part. It allows the person to tell some of the truth while hiding the rest. It's important to note that just because you hear someone use one of these statements, it's not proof that they are lying, but an indication that they may be.
4: Him and one of the girls used to date or whatever. Which girl? The Amber girl. Well, you just told me
3: more than you told me a few minutes ago. How do you know Amber? As a friend. How did you meet her?
4: Through her brother, Kyle, the other dude that's here. Okay.
3: Okay. All right. So, is Kyle the other one that lives with you? Yeah. Okay. Well, then now I know you know more than you're saying because, you know...
4: He just moved into. I know,
3: but Kyle likes to
2: talk, doesn't he? The detectives have pinpointed Kyle as the potential weakest link. After all, he is the one who originally confessed information to his mother, which resulted in the four being here at the station. What is unclear at this point is exactly how much Kyle has told his mother and the investigators. We can't be sure what the detective already knows, but neither can Justin. I have with the kid in, like,
4: you what? I haven't children hung out with him in a little while until we moved in and started living there.
3: Well now you're making me think things a little differently. Okay?
2: The detective scoots her chair closer to Justin. This increased physical proximity creates additional pressure for him to tell the truth.
3: Mm-hmm. Now you're making me think that maybe you had some involvement in all of this. Did you? No ma'am. Did you have any involvement in any of this? No ma'am. No? Where'd you get the scratches from on your legs? Vines
4: walking through the woods.
3: Those are very, very fresh scratches. When did you get those?
4: Yesterday. I was walking through the woods yesterday. Yesterday? Mm-hmm.
3: What woods were you walking through?
4: In my old neighborhood, where I was going to talk to a dude about the tree job.
3: Okay. What neighborhood is that?
4: It's, it doesn't have a name. It's behind a church, a
2: big church. This is an unsatisfactory answer and the beginning of a series of very vague answers from Justin.
3: I work in the woods too, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't get
4: scratched up like that. No, they have like little, what are those called? Thorns or whatever mm-hmm. on them.
3: Okay. And they're
4: up there on my leg. Let and me see it.
3: your other leg. Yeah, you're pretty scratched up. That's not from a walk through the woods.
4: Sure it is.
3: No. Talk to me, Justin.
4: That's what, that's what happened. That's woods.
3: Oh, I believe it's woods.
4: Yeah.
3: I believe that. I have no doubt it could be that. But that's not from walking through the woods. Yeah. Okay? We were either running,
4: walking in the dark.
2: The detective returns to the night in question, and Justin continues his strategy of distancing himself from the others.
4: I don't know anything about what happened. Like, I just came home and I went to sleep.
2: While Justin maintains his ignorance of the situation, the girls continue their version of events.
4: Did Seth call
7: you before he came down? No, there? ma'am. So he just showed up an hour later. Yeah. When you came back, did you talk to your brother or Michael about what Seth had said or that you guys had had a conversation? Did they know?
1: No, they didn't know what we talked about. Okay. Uh, Kyle asked me where I was going, and right? so I was like, I'm going to talk to Seth and try and figure things out.
2: Notably, there's no mention of Justin being present at the scene, in Amber's version either. I
1: hear a knock at the door. It's Seth. So I let him in, not thinking anything was wrong with it.
6: Okay. <coughs> can, can you draw me a drawing of your, your house? <laughs> I guess. I, I, I just want to try to get a, a, a picture of what... Get, like, of that
2: the detective may be having Charlie draw the floor plan to make sure her story is crystal clear. However, a methodically laid out floor plan could allow the detective to point out certain details that seem implausible or odd as well.
1: She let him in. He sits in the chair. Me and her are sitting by each other on the couch. And out of nowhere, Kyle just gets up and hits him.
6: He so were they like, arguing first before mm-hmm. you hit him?
1: Just... No, Amber and Seth were talking, and Kyle comes out of nowhere and hits him, and me and Amber dart to my room. And where was and he? And Kyle at? said, get the f*** out. And he went out that way, and we heard Mike's door hit something, and Mike came out, and we heard gunshots. Okay. And by then, me and Charlie took off. to okay. room. We shut the bathroom door. And we heard another door just fly open and we just heard gunshot after gunshot after gunshot. And after maybe like five or six times of hearing it, it got quiet. And then you hear Kyle go, what did you just do?
2: The introduction of a gun into this scenario does not seem to bode well for Seth, yet it's still unclear exactly what happened to him as the girls were not visual witnesses to the event itself. It's difficult to piece together Seth's fate, especially since there hasn't been a body recovered.
7: How do you think Michael knew Seth was out there? He probably heard him talk Okay, so it's it's one of them things where it's not that far apart. That yeah, he, the house the is very house
1: small. He kind of, would, he would know Seth's small. voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. If we said anything to anyone, he
6: would f***ing kill us. So this next. is after the gunshots? Yeah. He came back into the house? Yeah, with the gun. In and his he was hand? waving it around. What like, kind of gun was it? It was a revolver. Okay. I
1: mean, he's like touching so, our fingerprints are
2: all in it. It's interesting that Charlie is choosing to volunteer information about Mike letting them touch the revolver at this point. It could very well be that she has a guilty conscience and is trying to preemptively dismiss certain pieces of evidence that indicate her guilt, such as her fingerprints being on a weapon. The back door open and, like, I
1: don't really know. Like, I just heard a bunch of shit, like, like, he was... Moving stuff around? Yeah.
6: Okay, you documented that. <coughs> now, did you hear any voices or anything? All oh, me- I heard
1: it was Mike's voice.
6: Okay, and what did you hear Mike saying?
1: This is
7: what you f***ing get. So when did you guys finally come out of the room?
1: The next morning.
7: Was anything different?
1: Oh, It just smelled like pure bleach in the
7: house. That's okay. it. Do you know where the bleach came from? No. I had a bottle of bleach on the counter, but that's not there.
6: So you had bleach, and it's gone now? Mm hmm
1: And Mike came into the room, and he said, I swear, if you guys open your mouth about anything about last night, I'm going to come after you guys. He said, I got to go. I'm going somewhere.
6: Okay, and he left?
1: Yeah. He said, I'm going somewhere. I'll be back later. And me and Amber went up to my friend Chris's house for...
6: Did you look around your house or anything to see what? what like, I mean, I was, you had to be curious around, about something, right?
1: I was looking around, but I didn't see anything. Like, I didn't see really anything. I mean, my. The only thing that I really noticed was in my bathroom, my shower doors, not my bathroom, but the guest bathroom, shower doors were down.
7: Where was Michael the next day when you got up? Mm-hmm.
1: Did, you,
7: did just, you see him? No,
1: he just wouldn't come out of his room, and then me and Charlie left. And we were up at her friend's house until maybe four, dude okay. What time did you call me? Um, when we met
7: about three. So Michael was in the house, though, when you woke up in the morning? Yes, ma'am. Okay.
2: This is a minor discrepancy in what has been a very parallel story, since Charlie claims Mike was out and about making more threats, while Amber says he was asleep in his room until they left.
6: This guy, Justin Soto, was he there when this happened?
1: I didn't see him anywhere. Like, I don't think he was there. I think he was talking about going and talking to someone in another neighborhood about a job that he
3: has to do, like, next week. What have you heard about Seth? Tell me everything you've heard about Seth.
4: Like, he used to date Amber and, I guess... I don't know, that's pretty much it. I guess he had some problems with some other kid and... What kind
2: of problems? Once again, Justin uses two selective memory statements, I guess and I don't know, followed by another exclusion qualifier. That's pretty much it. This doesn't mean he's guilty, but it could suggest that he's withholding information related to the case. It's possible that he's either protecting someone else or himself by holding back. This is also only an indication of deception when it isn't part of someone's normal speech patterns. Some teenagers and young adults use phrases like pretty much all the time. This is another instance that highlights the importance of the officers having some low-stakes conversations with individuals before the interrogation begins so that they can get a feel for their baseline speech patterns. That way, if their word usage changes in association with certain topics, the officer can be more certain that something is off about that specific topic.
4: Like, they were just, like, talking always to each other. Who? Um, I don't even know, like... There you
3: go.
4: Who? Well, I think his
3: his name is Mike, actually. I knew you would remember. I had faith in
4: him. When did you first meet Mike? Oh, I met him, like,
2: two years ago. He met Mike nearly two years ago but just a few minutes ago was acting like he didn't even know his name. She makes one last-ditch effort to get him to open up to her.
3: I'm sure Mike's going to talk for what's best for Mike. So Justin needs to tell me what's going on and think about what's best for Justin.
4: Yeah. I left yesterday. That's pretty much what happened.
3: Did you leave with Mike? No. No. Did you leave with anybody else? All right, well, listen, give me a few minutes, and I'll be right back, okay? All right. All right.
2: She leaves to acquire a smoke for him and likely to get an update on what the other investigators have learned from their suspects.
7: Oh, sorry.
2: I'm sorry, buddy.
7: Do you mind if I talk to her again? Okay, I'm going to bring um, Kyle in here with you, Okay. Okay.
2: This is 16-year-old Kyle Hooper, Amber Wright's half brother. He's just finished a grueling one-on-one interview with a detective and is clearly distressed. What
0: Both your kids are in a thing for murder. Amber, two? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, we told you it wasn't a storm. I mean, it was like everything was planned. approached everybody. Everybody.
2: Admitting that everything was planned is extremely important because it proves mens rea, premeditated criminal intent. So not only has Kyle essentially admitted to murder on videotape, he's also admitted to a specific degree of murder, first-degree murder. We're, f- we're gone. They took
0: my phone. Everything's gone. James is on it, too. On what?
2: Is now, Kyle has also unexpectedly implicated his stepfather, James Havens III, stating that he is in on it, too. Kyle Hooper, much like his sister, has told detectives a bit of a story while his mother was present. However, they likely realize at this point that he is the weakest link, as he was the one who originally confessed to his mother. He certainly doesn't seem to want to tell the full story in front of her. So the detective pulls him out into a room alone where he sits wiping ink from his hands from his fingerprinting. Little does he know, a confrontation is about to begin.
7: So sorry about that. Um I I, I want to be perfectly honest with you, okay? This is how this is how I work. I'm giving you an opportunity right now to lie to me. Okay? If you take that opportunity, okay? You're a fool. No, I'm not you at all. Everything that comes out of your little mouth right now better be 110% the truth, okay? All right, now let's start back at the beginning of this. And this is your one and only last chance to correct any discrepancies you may have of the story that you told me, okay? You want to start fresh? No. Man, I'm scared. Yeah.
0: Kyle, I'm sure you are. Okay? I, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go through none of
7: this. I didn't even know for none of this to happen. <laughs> okay, but you know what, Kyle? Right now is the time to man up. Right now is where the rubber meets the road. Okay? I can do nothing for you. I can I can't even I can do nothing. I can't talk to you if you're not going to tell me the truth.
2: She may be trying to empathize with him to make him feel like she cares, but she makes no hints or promises that he won't be locked up or that she will help him. Meanwhile, Kyle is hiding his face with his hand, which may indicate that he feels shame and wants to hide himself from the detective's gaze. So let's
7: start let's start at the beginning, okay? Just just you and I here, just start at the beginning. What? Tell me what really happened.
2: Kyle begins his story with important insight into his state of mind that night. He and his biological dad did not get along, which may have been a major factor in Kyle's sudden decision to move in with Charlie. To that end, he sold his laptop to raise quick cash for rent, and that instigated an argument with his mother. Feeling like he was losing his family, he went to his stepfather, James Havens, for mental support, who later dropped him off at Charlie's house. His anger and frustration may have been contributing factors to his fateful decisions later that night. With the stage set, Kyle begins his shocking tale. He drops me off.
0: All right. Well, we got this kid that comes over. He play, His name is Brandon. He plays a guitar. Brandon. Yeah, his name is Brandon. He plays a guitar. He's got on here. He's in a band and stuff like that. That comes over to Charlie's house. Yeah. You know, he plays guitar. And, well, he was out there playing the guitar and stuff like that on the front of the yard and everything. And then, um, Mike, he was, um, he was like getting all into it. He went in the house. I guess he was doing some pills or whatever. Um, he was what um, kind um, of pills, Mike? Um, um, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, there were white pills. Um, Where'd you get not tell me he gets any of this stuff. I don't know. He don't tell me nothing about stuff like that. Honestly.
2: Okay. The detective is interested in these pills, but all Kyle can contribute is that they were white. Yet Mike's alleged drug use that night may have contributed to him making the decision to kill Seth and follow through with that choice. Although it's unknown what specific drug he may have taken, many illegal substances have been linked to increased levels of violence.
7: Um, so he's snorting some pills
0: and yeah, so on, and yeah, he, you know, he's getting all hired wired up, hyped up, and everything. And, um, somebody brought up the name Seth, and um, he, uh, he's like, "Man, I want to go into killing tonight." He's like, "I, I just want to," and. Uh, He's like you guys down and I told
7: him no. That's all. I don't. When he said you guys down, who's he talking to? Like, you and um her. me, Amber, um Charlie, um
0: Roach. Okay. Who's Roach now? Uh, oh, the guy Justin Soto. Oh, okay,
7: okay. so okay. So Soto was there.
0: Uh, yes, man. Yes,
2: yes. Okay. Kyle hesitates but then officially places Justin at the scene on this night. Disputing his claims that he did not hang out with them and had no knowledge of anything that took place, Justin is going to have some explaining to do.
3: I know you were there. I know about what you did. I know that you participated. And I want to know exactly what you did so that I don't blame you for something you didn't do because everybody else is. All right? You blaming me? Yeah.
2: The detective has clearly learned details from the other interrogations. However, Justin doesn't know how much she knows, and she's implying they're laying the blame for events squarely at his feet. It appears that the detectives may be using the prisoner's dilemma as one of their tactics to get everyone to talk. This psychological dilemma involves separating people and then giving them a scenario in which each person must decide, without being able to communicate, if they're going to cooperate with each other and stay silent, or if they're going to turn on the other and deflect blame off of themselves. All the while, the detectives tell each person that the other has already spilled all of their secrets and blamed them. Here, each of the suspects face this same decision dilemma. If they all stay quiet, there may not be enough evidence to convict them, or they could receive a lesser charge. But with the choice to cooperate with each other comes a great risk. If only one person stays silent while the rest talk, they risk getting blamed for everything. But if they all talk, then they all could face punishment. The detectives will put the pressure on even more by suggesting to each person that the others are pointing the finger at them. Is this just an excellent way for interrogators to get to the truth? Or is it unethical to pit suspects against each other as it could incentivize false confessions? Let us know your thoughts in the comments below.
3: Yeah. Wow. I know what happened to Seth.
7: <sighs> okay? Mm-hmm.
3: So, the yours. Question is, is Roach going to look out for Roach? Or is Roach going to not look out for him and let him take the fall for anybody else?
4: Well, since you put it that way, well, this is what happens since they were.
2: As easy as that, Justin joins Kyle in revealing the truth of that horrible night. Meanwhile, Kyle's grim story is far from over. Mike has just taken the pills and is amped up and ready for violence.
7: will you talking about killing people. He's talking about killing Seth. Uh... Pretty much because
0: he was like, man, because I, I, he's like, um, all you got to do is find him and get him on the way down here and everything like that. And he didn't want Amber to, he didn't want Amber to call him off from the phone or text him. She didn't, he didn't want nothing to have her or Charlie to have nothing to do
2: with it. What could Seth possibly have done to stir up such animosity with Mike? This couldn't have been a random event. There had to be a motive. Perhaps Amber has already given investigators a clue.
7: Why does Michael not like Seth? Because he likes Amber. Yeah. Oh, okay. So he's. Have you ever dated Michael?
1: We've never dated, but we've we've always had a thing for each other, but okay. never dated.
2: Okay. Despite what Amber says here, Seth certainly feels like she and Mike were in a relationship. The two former lovebirds engaged in a social media war after the breakup, which demonstrated how volatile things had become between them. In February of 2011, before the breakup, their Facebook posts were what one might expect from teens in love. But then on March 23rd, Amber announces that she is done, followed approximately a week later by a similar post from Seth, indicating that he is now single. Seth and Amber continue to express their frustrations, which leads to an online war, with friends on both sides providing support and sometimes a voice of reason when they take things too far. On April 3rd, Seth seems to want to extend the olive branch, but Mike gets involved and Amber makes it clear she wants nothing to do with Seth. According to some sources, it was around this time that Seth challenged Mike, and the two got into a fight. Despite being younger by three years, Seth apparently won the fight, deepening the rivalry between them. Battle lines are drawn. Amidst this online chaos, it's no wonder that Seth was suspicious about being jumped when Amber suddenly wanted to make nice with him and get back together.
7: Well, Amber decided and she agreed to it. Your brother told me everything.
0: Okay.
7: So you can sit there and you can continue to lie. I'm going to walk out and treat you like a piece of garbage.
0: Okay. Or
7: you can sit here and treat me with the respect that I treated you with. Okay, and you can tell me the truth. Yes,
1: sir.
7: What's your choice going to be? Okay, speak up so I can hear you too, okay? All right. So let's start at the beginning again. Can you tell me this story? And the first time that I think you're lying, I'm getting up and walking out of here and I don't care what happens to you. Yes, ma'am. Do you understand me? Yes, ma'am. Okay.
2: The detective is far more aggressive now. Amber begins with Brandon playing music and designates the same players on the scene, including Justin and her stepfather.
1: James and Brandon both left. After, like, Brandon was playing guitar and everything, they both left, and Mike was, like, tell, talking to Charlie and Kyle and me, and he was like, you should call Seth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, for what? He was like, act like you're going to make up with him. And I was like, for what, Mike? He's like, because I'm going to kill him.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I was like, why are you doing that? He's like, because I'm tired of him.
2: This is a key moment, as Amber has now revealed her knowledge of Mike's intentions. This admission means that she knew something may happen to Seth if she called him to ask him to meet her. She's now gone from an innocent bystander to an instrumental part of Mike's plan. So I went into the fact with Charlie, and
5: I called them, mm-hmm. And I
2: told him I wanted to make up. With additional confirmation that the girls are not as innocent as they claimed, there is still another confrontation that needs to take place to get the full story.
6: I need you to be totally honest and truthful with me. Okay, because we have talked to other people. We've talked to Kyle, okay? And Kyle has told us his new version of the story, okay? He's, from at this point, he's been totally cooperative, okay? I know there's some things that transpired prior to. I know there were some conversations prior to about something happening.
2: The detective is being intentionally vague when he hints that Kyle has given them information. He wants to increase Charlie's discomfort so she will be more likely to talk.
1: I wasn't involved in that. I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, it might have been between him and Mike, but I don't
6: know. Cal has already, and I'll be honest with you, has implemented you in being involved in knowing or having knowledge to this thing transpiring prior to it happening.
1: But I didn't.
6: This, this what doesn't make sense to me. You're telling me that you, you guys are in this house. You drew out a, a diagram for me yeah. of your house where everybody was sitting at. The C is for? Me. The A is for? Ember. The K is for?
5: Kyle.
6: The S is for? Seth. And then Mike was in his room allegedly, correct? <coughs> okay. Who else was at this house that you did not put in there? Um,
1: Roche was there, but he wasn't there when that
6: happened. Yes, he was. I didn't see him.
2: It seems likely that Kyle, Amber, and Charlie had previously coordinated with Justin to leave him out of the events completely. The detective shifts focus to Seth's arrival.
6: And you say that he just un- unannounced himself and just came to the house. Is that correct?
4: Yeah.
6: No one told him to come to the house? No. How did he come to that house? Because I'm telling you right now, there's a different story in that other room.
1: I mean, he walked, I mean...
6: I understand he probably walked with his his left foot and his right foot, one in front of the other, and he physically came to the house. This is is where you need to be truthful with me. You need to be truthful with me. Because right now you're beating at the bush. Okay? And you're not being truthful with me. Can we both agree on that? Yeah.
2: This at least is progress in the right direction. Let's check in with Kyle.
7: Take a deep breath, you're doing really well. It's about time, so I mean, it's okay.
2: Once he pulls himself together, he provides some insight into his feelings for Seth.
0: I really hated Seth. And um, there was time, because my ex-girlfriend, I found him in the bed with my ex-girlfriend, and I really didn't like that, and I loved her. But I really didn't want to go out and kill the kid. It, it wasn't my intention. Um, and he come, um, all right, mm-hmm. well, Mike was talking about it. he's like, listen, he's like, I'll do it. And, and, and believe it or not, Amber wanted it done, Amber don't want nothing to do with him, Amber wanted him dead and gone, he deserved it.
2: Kyle is deflecting responsibility off himself by justifying what they did, by blaming the victim and stating that he deserved it.
0: I wanted him dead, but I didn't want to do it, and... I didn't want nothing to be a part of it. I didn't want nothing. But, and Mike said he would do but it. But Mike said he would do it. So he and talked he, to And Mike he kept about it. on saying, he kept on saying, man, I'll take the blame for it. I'll take the blame for everything. I'll do it. I'll do everything. I'll take the blame if, if the cops ask you if anything. I'll take the blame. I have nothing to lose.
2: Kyle has admitted to quite a bit so far. He seems to mistakenly believe that Mike could take all the blame for killing Seth if he's the only one who pulls the trigger.
0: It's whatever. And Amber agreed to it. Everybody was agreed to it. So did Soto agree? Huh?
7: Soto? Roach? everybody agreed. He agreed? Everybody agreed. Agreed. Amber agreed? Mm Mm-hmm. And Charlie agreed? mm Mm-hmm. Mike said he would do it, and you agreed. So there's five people? That's right. Okay.
2: The detective makes it perfectly clear that Kyle is stating that each of them were involved in premeditation for murder.
0: And Mike's like, man, I can't do this. It's got to be done now. He's like, wait, Mickey. he's not, he's sitting in the love seat. He, he's like, it's got to be done now. He, oh, Mike opened the door. I come out. I hit him over the stick with the head. Where was Seth when you hit him? He was him. in the chair. Okay. And I hit him over the head with the stick, and it broke three times on him.
2: Kyle had previously admitted that both he and Justin Soto intended to hit Seth to make it easier for Mike to kill him. This is considering aiding in the murder and could make them just as culpable as Mike. He's now admitted that he actually followed through on his part. In another room, Charlie's detective is about to use this event to perform a coup de gras.
6: At no time did you ever say, when Kyle hit Seth across the head with this stick, board, or whatever this object was, what the hell are you doing? What's going on? If you didn't know what was going on. You see the picture I'm painting now? Obviously, you had to know what was going on, okay? Because any person in their right mind would have asked this question if you and I are sitting in this room and wh- whoever sitting over here and I just start beating the hell out of him, aren't you going to want, what's going on? Yeah. You never said that. You know why? You know why? Yeah. Why? So you don't what happened. Exactly.
2: Charlie finally admits that she knew something might happen. Once the detective started being aggressive about her lies, it didn't take very long for her to break under the pressure.
0: I hit him and he stood up. And when I broke it over his head three times, he stood up. And then Roach come in um, and then he hit him with a stick, his stick. And he was, and then he was trying to go through the kitchen and uh, Mike shot him in the back twice with a gun.
1: Kyle hit Seth with the thing, and I flew against the counter, and I looked
7: Roach hit him with a stick, too?
1: Yeah, I didn't look at it, I was in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And all I seen was Seth fly, and then Kyle and Roach flew, and Mike flew right behind him. And Charlie was like, come through! the room, come in the room, come in the room. When Kyle hit him over the head, that's when we ran into the room because we didn't know where Mike was. Like, we thought he was in his room, and obviously that's where he was. But
0: like we didn't know where he was with the gun. Okay. Um. And then he was still trying to go out. The, he was still trying to go out the front door, and Mike just kept on shooting him. I kept on telling Mike, "I was like, stop it, stop it, let him go, let him go." Mike and he just kept on shooting him. And he goes out. He goes out the. He goes out the house. got out of the way, and Mike pumped his ass. And roach grabs him like this and set up on the ground, and he has him choked, and uh, I don't know what he did to his knee, but he kind of messed up his knee, and he rolled, Roach rolled over. Who messed up his knee? A roach. Okay. Richard Soto. And he rolled over, and Mike come up and shot him in the head, and that's when it was over.
3: Mike shoots him how many times? It's
4: like five times, maybe, I guess.
3: Right there on the spot?
0: And oh my god man and um coming back into and then um I was like Mike's like man grab him grab him you gotta grab him Kyle we didn't have nobody we gotta grab him and I and I was scared I was freaking out and I'm like I okay 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 and I grabbed him and I pulled him up the stairs and, and grabbed he? who? And Seth I started pulling him up the stairs. Was Seth still alive? Partially, yeah. He okay, so he pars- was still breathing at that time? He, he was partially still alive. I
1: walked in the room with
0: her. I was so shaken up. I'm staring at her. I'm crying.
1: She's trying to hold me to stop crying. I'm about to puke from it all. And then
5: they got him in the house and laid him on the floor.
0: And then um, they put him in the bath. And then um, Who Roach put him come in the in. Roach come in and he helped put him in the bathtub. Like Did grab, you
3: help put Seth
0: in the bathtub? Yeah, I like grabbed a little piece of him and like just put him in there, and then I like just went out. And, and then when he was in the bathtub, he just Mike kept on getting on cycle and pissed. He kept on punching him and and shooting him, and I had to grab him like this to pull him back. And I told him to stop. I said, "Listen, you need to stop right now." And then I come in, and then Mike's wanting to break it. I come in, and Mike's trying to break his kneecaps. To, you know, to is, he or is he dead at this point? Or Yeah, still? he's completely dead.
3: Who broke his leg? Legs and knees.
0: I think Mike did it. And that's when Mike had his kneecap, had his leg pulled out like this, with like with some in his hand, some hard, trying to break his kneecap.
3: How'd you get the scratch marks on your legs? Um, fighting with Seth.
4: N- no, I didn't. It's some, with still woods and stuff. Finding uh, firewood. Huh.
3: Finding firewood. Yeah. To burn up, Seth? I guess, yeah. And then
1: Mike was like, Roach, get him in the bathroom. And then Charlie was like, Amber, don't walk out there. Don't walk out there. We don't need to see it. That's when Mike walked in the room with his gun in his hand. And he was like, I love you both, but if you say anything,
7: I'll kill you both.
2: When a person threatens to kill another person to get them to commit a crime, that creates a duress defense. However, this is not usually a defense to a homicide, as it's considered wrong to take another person's life, regardless of whether your own life has been threatened. Furthermore, since Amber was aware and participated in these events before there was ever a threat involved, her part in the murder is already done. 22.
0: 22. Okay, 22 revolver, it's all black. Where is it at right now? Um, it's under the house in the in the in the air duct. That's where the gun's at right now. That, that's where the gun's where is are supposed the to be at right now. Where are the sticks that you guys have? um Everything got burned.
2: He then begins to explain how they disposed of Seth's body once his kneecaps were broken in the bathtub.
0: And then he hard tied him, and then he put him in the bag. In what bag? Uh, the, the, like I said, that Sleep bag. The sleeping bag.
3: Okay, so after the bathtub, they put him in some blue thingy that you said yeah, like a, a bag. a bag or something. Okay.
4: He, what was did brought, do? he was brought up there.
3: Who brought him out?
4: Mike and
3: Soto. It says Mike and Soto.
4: Well, they, they brought him out there first, and I just, like, dragged him a little bit.
2: After a pause, Justin amends his story since the detective already knows he was involved, but just a little bit. He'd already been collecting wood for the fire, and now they got it started in the backyard, preparing to dispose of the body in the bag.
0: We had these two tires. The tires, you know, the rubber was supposed to, I guess what Mike said was supposed to uh, do, over, overdo the smell of the dead, the burnt body, something like that, mm-hmm. um, so... Where'd you get the tires? The tires were already in the front yard. They, they come off of uh, some car or something. They, and then I come out there, and then Roach was uh, telling me um, something about the shovel. Like, uh, I guess he hit him over the head with a shovel or something, because he was still, like, Mike's psycho. He, he's crazy. He, he, the, the guy's completely dead. He's still hitting him.
2: If what Kyle is saying is true... Mike continuing to strike the body with a shovel could suggest that he's trying to relive the experience of killing Seth. He may have felt a rush of adrenaline when he first attacked the victim, and he wants to feel that excitement again. The drugs Mike took may have also contributed to his frenzied behavior.
3: You and Mike stayed out there and watched the body burn in
4: the fire, I stayed out there. You stayed out there
3: by yourself? Yeah, most of the time. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate you being honest about that, okay? Mm-hmm. So, so I guess it was your job to make sure the body burned.
4: Yeah. I just wanted it all to be over
2: The next morning when the fire's out, Mike prepares what remains of Seth's body for disposal.
0: You know, we're just going around there. Uh, Mike's at the bag, picking teeth from his skull They're playing with his tongue. He's all sick and everything. He, and, he, um, He's putting them into them paint, the the containers with paint and everything, the ashes and everything. Who's helping him do that? Uh, he he was at that point. He was just doing everything by himself at that point because everybody just said, F- it, "We're done."
3: Where is Seth right now? Where where is all of his body parts?
4: It's um somewhere in Ocala. Where? Oh, well, it's,
2: it's some rock quarry thing or whatever. This quarry was a place Mike had once gone swimming with an ex girlfriend, and he knew it was a desolate place, perfect for disposing of the paint buckets that contained his victim. It's out. You
6: brush your teeth, right? Yeah. You know what toothpaste looks like, right? Yeah. You ever mashed it?
1: Yeah. You ever try to put it back in there? It can't go back in Can't. Okay. I want my mom
6: mother in law Can't go back in Ken.
1: No.
2: Somewhere nearby, Amber faces the music for her part in the debacle.
7: What were you thinking? I was scared. What were you scared of? There was no there was no threat was at the time that But there was no threat at the time. Seth wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. So what I mean, what are you being afraid of? Seth wasn't even there. There was nothing for Mike Mike. You said. Mike told me I love you both. He would never do anything to hurt you. What were you thinking about getting Seth up there?
1: I wasn't thinking at the time. Did you just hate
7: Seth that bad? I didn't
1: hate him. I
7: was hurt. Does your mom know that?
2: The detective asks her brother the same question.
7: What do you think your mom's going to say when you... Does your mom know this true story? I don't know. She knows what I told her. What do you think mom's going to say? Not one of her children, but both her children are involved in murder.
2: Last but not least, there's Justin.
4: I don't... I just don't want to get no the. I didn't even want to get in this... Shit. I just wanted just to get my life together. I was planning to go to the military and everything, but... Out of the picture then. Well, why? My life why much didn't you just?
3: Picture. Let me ask you this. You know, you're telling me you wanted to get your life straight. This, that, the other. I, I don't you know, like, that's all. Because I, if you wanted to get like, your life straight, you know what you would have done? You would have not participated in this, and you would have called the cops and said, "This is what's about to happen to this kid." You gave no regard to another person's life. Why didn't you call nine one one? You don't call my own one. I don't like you. Never call but you let a person die. Because that's the honorable thing to do.
2: With interrogations complete, detectives begin sending the suspects one at a time to where Kyle and his mom are waiting. He's sitting in the chair, currently just off-screen.
0: She said, you tell me the truth and all I can, and straight the truth, and I will try helping you. That's why I need to talk to the detective again. I'm going to just come out with it. I'm going to get everything done at and everything. I just want it all done, so I told him.
2: If someone cannot afford an attorney, they have a constitutional right to have an attorney appointed. This is explained to every person in custody as a part of their Miranda rights. But Kyle doesn't seem to fully comprehend this right.
0: I wish I would've never met this kid, man.
7: Who? So? So. I wish you didn't meet Mike.
0: <laughs> that too. Where's mike in been I don't know, I have seen him. I haven't even
6: seen him, ever. Can I have mom come out? Ah.
0: Uh. I had to.
2: They knew we were lying. Immediately, Amber confronts Kyle.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Take your mom's purse?
6: Yeah.
2: Let me give you
6: Is she No. So, oh, you You've interviewed Amber, Charlie, and. Yeah. No.
0: You can't now. I know you're lying to me.
2: They immediately begin talking about the interrogation. It's likely that they're unaware that they're being recorded.
0: I'm sorry,
1: guys. He's not going to wait for me.
2: Charlie taps her arm where her husband's name is tattooed. With the prospect of facing incarceration before them, the conversation turns to their feelings about the idea.
1: Well that's what that's I'm terrified. I am too. Cause I'm actually going to an actual jail. And then
0: an actual prison is not like juvenile. Shit. Well, I'd probably be going you to be 15. Yep, they can trial me as an adult next actually- year.
2: In time they begin to speculate about the one person who is still missing, Justin. So-
5: you and I not done you, Roach, was already
1: out because I already been talking about a cigarette.
4: So, where's Roach
5: now?
1: And I even said if they don't do anything, if like they don't do anything about us with us, then we're gonna be, we're gonna have to watch our backs. Well, with might. With anybody. I mean, people are gonna. F- hate us for this. People that don't even know us are going to be looking for us if we get out of this. Why? There's a 15-year-old kid murdered because of us. Do you honestly think people want to be around? Do you think people think there's those kind of people are supposed to be here?
0: Yeah, but it's not our fault.
1: Hell, I don't even like the kind of people, and I'm one of them now. I don't mean- And I didn't even do anything.
2: Throughout their discussions, they've been placing the blame squarely on Mike as the ringleader, discounting their own contributions to Seth's murder, as Kyle does here. They seem to struggle to acknowledge what they've done or take responsibility for their own actions.
7: Amber, where are the clothes that you had on that Sunday?
2: After Amber answers the detective's question, Kyle takes the opportunity to try to find out some information. Can you tell us
7: anything what's going to happen to Yep, us? I sure can. I know we'll just in one second, just let me go back and tell them what she said. What shirt did you have on? This is the story. You're an adult, correct? Juvenile and juvenile, correct? Am I right? Mm-hmm. You're t- you two are under 18 and you're 18. You're all going to be booked with first-degree premeditated murder. You two will go to the juvenile assessment center. You, go, you will go to the Marion County Jail, okay? okay. Uh-huh. take a deep breath you'll have no bond you won't be getting out <laughs> oh I, honey this is not <clears throat> listen to me everybody just take a deep breath Like, and you
1: 10, we really
7: didn't really <laughs> no, no 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 <laughs> see but you did but you did let's let, first of all let's get over that hump right now okay <laughs> that we really didn't do anything because everybody's complicit here a person died a person was murdered okay we all knew about it. We all planned it. We were all involved in getting it done. So let's let's hop that hurdle first, okay? Let's man up to the fact that, damn it, this was a pretty heinous crime, and we all had something to do with it. Now we got to deal with what will happen with, to us from that, okay? Yeah.
1: Well, it was like the fact, like I know I was scared because Mike had a gun and
7: oh, I was you know scared. what? Stop it. stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Do you think we haven't been listening to everything you guys have been saying in here? Are you are you that stupid, really? I don't know. And just stop. Because I don't, I don't even, lying to me just makes me just, hate it. I don't want to lie. Oh, yeah, you were. You lied about a few things. But anyway, that's what's going to happen. Um, it is one step at a time. Remember to breathe. That's how we get through stuff like this, okay? But you know what? I will say, you, sir, I have a lot of admiration for because at least you told the truth.
2: Having praised Kyle for his honesty, she informs them that they will be booked, but that they still have the trial to determine their guilt or innocence. What?
7: How? Is Roach going to do sleep? Sleep? Yes, no. yes, too. He's admitted his part.
2: He will be booked also. She tells Kyle and Amber they will let her see her mother before they have to leave and then departs. The staggering reality of their situation begins to sink in.
5: <laughs> all right. We're all in for murder.
1: What? Did you say why did you lie? Said, this is our life now. Oh my god, man. We we didn't do anything with the body or anything like that. I got five years old 20, but I'm twenty by time I get out.
2: Amber is unable to grasp the true magnitude of what a first-degree murder conviction would mean five years would be a drop in the bucket compared to what she can expect.
1: <laughs> and I'm gone, Joe. Joe's gonna be gone. He's not gonna stay at all. This is all f- gonna light, light us all. I'm so scared. I'm gonna get my feet in there. <laughs> I think Be like, I'm and I can't fresh little meat. I'm gonna be the smallest person in there. Oh no, this? Oh, Please. you guys are going to the juvenile. Thing. I'm going <laughs> to the big thing. F- <laughs> you see the juvenile? Juvenile is crazy. The jail is full of older people now. But now the juvenile is all these. I'm so scared. gonna <laughs>
2: In the middle of this despair, the detectives let Justin into the room. He is not happy.
4: You're screwed. Yeah, I know that.
1: And Mike's running why we're all handling it for him. I want my mom. I don't want.
4: I want my life to end right now. Huh?
2: I just want my life to end right now. Detectives now had a pretty good idea of what may have happened to Seth, but there were still missing pieces to the puzzle and a suspect at large. However, everything was about to fall into place. Later that same night in Stark, Florida, James Williams Sr. was driving home. He'd only stopped at work long enough to tell his boss that he needed the night off because there was something very important that he had to do that something was taking Mike Bargo to turn himself in to the police. Mike was his daughter's boyfriend, so Mr. Williams had offered him sanctuary in good faith, unaware of the real reason Mike needed a place to lie low. Yet just before, for his overnight shift, Mike admitted the truth to him, or at least a version of it, and agreed to turn himself in. Now cleared of his work obligations, Mr. Williams was on his way to help him do just that. However, as he neared his house, he witnessed a multitude of flashing blue lights surrounding it. It seems the police had already tracked Mike and were going to relieve him of his duty. This is James Williams, Sr. He is the father of Mike Bargo's girlfriend, Kristen, and is the man he chose to stay with while on the run from police.
6: Tell me how you became
8: involved in this and what, what knowledge do you have? Okay. I just run down everything exactly due to you as what happened. Okay. Yesterday, I got a call um, from him, actually from my daughter, wanting to know if he could come up and stay at my house for a couple of days, at which point she didn't tell me anything more than that. And then he called shortly thereafter, and I said, well, he said, "He said, look, I got in an altercation in Ocala, the place I was living, got into a fight. And I just, they threw me out of the house and I needed a place to stay for a few days while things cooled down. And he said, you know, and he started getting all emotional and I kind of figured it was something, you know, and I said, what's going on, Right? And he says, he said, Jimmy, he said, at that point, I believe he said yesterday or the day before, I believe he said the day before, um, that somebody had his little sister and he shot him eight times and killed him.
2: Mike seems to feel the need to get things off his chest, but still can't bring himself to be completely honest. And
8: I started talking to him and I said, look, man, and I said, tell you right now, I don't need no trouble like this. And I said, you don't either. <coughs> the best thing for you to do is turn yourself in. And he pretty much agreed that that's what he was going to do. Said he was going to call his father to come get
2: him. <clears throat> Mr. Williams claimed he had a strict job, so he had to go check in before he could request time off. He went to do so, intending to come back and be the one to take Mike to the station, even though he didn't tell him. While he's gone, Mike decides to open up to someone else in the household. This is Crystal Anderson, Mr. Williams' live in girlfriend. She was at the house during Mike's visit. And
5: then after I got the cooking, And I got Jim up to go to work and he left and Mike's like, can I talk to you? And he said that the little girl that lives there, that's 15 years old, said that her boyfriend had raped her. And I was like, oh my God, are you for real? And he's like, yeah, and he's like, I killed him. I said, what?
2: Mike completely unburdens himself telling the entire story to Crystal as she listens in horror. According to Crystal, Mike claimed that he killed Seth because Seth had allegedly assaulted Amber. Because James and Crystal are important figures in his girlfriend's life, he may have wanted to make himself look better in their eyes. If he said he only killed to protect a girl he saw as his little sister, he may have believed he would appear more sympathetic to them.
5: After he did that, that he took a five-gallon bucket and put the ashes in the bucket. Him and the girl's stepdad had drove them to some place where they go swimming out and had took center blocks and tied them to the bucket.
2: Crystal's story cements James Havens' culpability as she describes that he was involved in disposing of the body. Several accounts place Justin Soto at the scene, too. Allegedly, Amber texted James Havens, her stepfather, and asked him to come to Charlie's house. Once there, James helped Mike and Justin load the paint cans, cinder blocks, and a dog leash into the back of his truck, and Mike gave him directions to the quarry. There, they used the leash to tie cinder blocks to the buckets and threw them into the quarry.
5: And he called his dad. And this dad told him, that's what had busted through their house. And they were looking for him. And I told him, I said, Mike, I said, you got to tell Jim what's going on. You got, you got to tell him. I said, I can't let him get in trouble because you want to be crazy. And I, I had called my cousin that was across
6: the road, but nobody was home because I was scared I didn't know what to do. Okay. And is that when we showed up? Yeah.
2: Now that these interviews have concluded, there is of course one more person who the police need to have a little chat with. Uh,
6: Which one? Uh, this one uh, uh, or uh, that one. That one, I that that
2: right there. one. You, this uh, one, uh, this uh, one uh, is eighteen year old Mike Bargo mastermind and instigator of the Seth Jackson murder. He flops down in the chair where the detective directs him, his body language immediately seeming to indicate that he will not be as cooperative as his fellow conspirators.
4: I so off the they're really killing my wrist.
2: Mike may be feeling powerless, so he tries to take control of the situation right away by asking to have the handcuffs removed. The detective complies, likely to build goodwill. Mm-hmm.
8: I got a that
6: mm-hmm. hand, and as you can tell. Okay. I'm Detective from American Insurance Office. Okay. I think you know why I'm here to talk to you. Okay, before we talk or anything, I have to advise you of your rights. You understand that? Mm-hmm. Okay. You understand each of these rights I have explained to you? Yes, sir. Having these rights in mind, do you wish to talk to, it says us here, but I'm saying me. Do you wish to talk to me now? Um, I like the in on one phone call, because I... I need to get hold of somebody. I need to call my lawyer. You want to talk to a lawyer? Is that what you're telling me? I you? mean, I, I'll talk to you, but I, oh, I, I, I oh, don't I want to call that. I don't want, I want call that. Oh, no. I'll, I'll, hold on a second. You just said you want to talk to a lawyer. Did you want I talk to a lawyer, or do you want to talk to me? I want to clarify that first. I'm going to talk to a lawyer. Okay.
2: Stand up. The detective cuffs him again and leads him away. Before questioning has even begun, it is over. The so-called Summerfield Six, Mike Bargo, Amber Wright, Kyle Hooper, Charlie Ely, Justin Soto, and James Havens III were charged for their roles in Seth Jackson's murder and faced trial. James Havens III was charged as an accessory to murder after the fact for helping dispose of the body and pleaded guilty. His sentence carries a penalty of up to 30 years in prison, but the most recent updates indicate that his sentence was deferred. Amber, Kyle, Charlie, and Justin were convicted of first-degree murder, receiving life sentences. In 2020, after serving nearly 10 years of prison time, Charlie Ely's lawyer earned a retrial on claims of an ineffective defense team, and she accepted a plea deal for second-degree murder, reducing her sentence by a decade. With time served, she was freed at 27 years old. As both the primary instigator and shooter... Mike Bargo was sentenced to death for his crime and awaits his fate on death row. His last words before heading back to his cell after sentencing were reportedly, may God have mercy on my soul.